And welcome in to the UMBC Ryan Odom Coaches Report. Gary Stein along with UMBC Head Coach Ryan Odom. We're here at the UMBC Event Center, and we got a good show for you. We'll talk a little bit about uh, the game against Stony Brook as well as preview Hartford. We'll also meet Jose Placer, the freshman guard from Orlando that's had a big impact on UMBC in conference play. And, of course, we'll talk to my broadcast partner, John Feinstein, about all things college basketball and the Super Bowl, the Patriots, of course, beating the Los Angeles Rams. But first up, UMBC basketball. Coach, how are you? Doing well. Good. To, Great see to see you, it. absolutely. Yeah. And you guys are hot. In fact, you're the hottest team in the America East right now, a five-game winning streak. What's kind of been the momentum of the turnaround here? Yeah, I think it's just our identity is starting to, to surface for us, uh, certainly the defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, the guys are really connected on that side of the ball right now, and it's really helping us. When you say connected, you mean like all, you know, like they say in football a lot, they don't, they don't want you to know only your position. They want you to know everybody's position so that it all makes sense. Does that transfer here to this game, or are you talking about something different? It really does. I mean, I think it's, you know, one of the biggest differences for us, it started with, you know, a sense of urgency. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're seeing a more urgent team right now. What I mean by that is we're playing every play like it's the last of the game. And uh, when that happens, you, you got a much better chance of winning. And if you take plays off and, and you're not giving it your best effort on every play, chances are you're probably not going to win. Right. And that's just the way it goes. And, and what you're seeing from our team right now is a more urgent team, a more connected team, a team that looks out for one another on that side of the ball. Uh, and they're, they're paying attention to detail in terms of scouting report and what we're trying to get accomplished as we go into each game. And it's interesting you say that because I remember at the halftime of a non-conference game, I don't remember which game it was, maybe it wasn't going particularly well for UMBC at the time, you had mentioned to Paul Mittermeyer that one of the things you wanted your team to do was to play harder. Yeah. It was that simple. Yeah. Just play harder and better things come. Yeah. And in this five-game winning streak, we're absolutely seeing that. Well, I mean, I think, I think around college basketball, you just look at it you know the hardest play in team usually wins or at least has a really good chance of winning and that's not to say that that's the only you know thing right. that that matters in a game but it's kind of the price of admission and uh you know for us our guys are doing that more consistently uh they're coming with a focus and an intensity that we need um but we understand that we certainly don't have it all figured out you know we've had a, while we've had a good run there are plenty of other good teams in our conference that are playing good ball We've had some close wins that are easily could the, could have gone the other direction, right. uh, which is more evidence for us that we've got a very small margin for error, and so we've got to bring it every day. And even in the game against Stony Brook, which was one of your better defensive efforts really of the season, it was still only an eight-point game at the end. 57-49 yeah. was the final. By the way, you've only given up 100 points total in your last two conference games. Yeah. But talk a little bit about that Stony Brook game and what the difference was for you in the second half. Yeah, I mean, it was a huge game you know, for us uh, at home, certainly. You want to try to win all your home games or at least put your best foot forward there. And we're playing a team that's had a lights-out season. Coach Bowles has done a great job, you know, this year as, his, as has his staff and players. You know, they currently sit at 18-5 and five and have had some great wins, not only at Stony Brook, but on, on the road. road yeah. They've been an excellent team on the road. And so we knew what we were facing going in, you know, a team that was confident, you know, on, on the opponent's home court. And so, you know, defensively, we had to, we had to do a good job on Yaboa, certainly, who's is, is a great player. Um, and, and it doesn't just stop there. They've got multiple guys. You know, Cherry's done a great job mm -hmm. of impacting their defense mm -hmm. and finishing plays around the basket. Miles Latimer's had a lights-out, mm -hmm. you know, freshman year, one of the better freshman years in our conference. And uh, obviously a local kid here uh, coming home. And then, you know, 
Garcia off the bench, you know, has right. been six man. you know a, a great six man. Oliani, we know what he can do, mm -hmm. and so we knew our, we had our hands full, and we were going to have to play really well in order to win. And uh, our guys' defense was was very very solid in that game. Offensively, we just found a way to score enough to win. I thought that three-pointer by Lamar with about maybe 10 minutes to go in yeah. the game, they had crept back to within six. No doubt. You guys got the rebound, and Arkell from the corner was huge. Yeah, that was huge. And KJ pushed it. Arkell ran. Uh, Brandon ran to the rim. Joe was trailing there. Uh, did a nice job of, of attacking them prior to them being able to get set. And uh, that was big because their, their zone was bothering us at that particular point in time. So at the halfway point, you guys are 6-2. and two. You've got big wins over Stony Brook, of course, of course, the University of Vermont. Yeah. Albany got off to a slow start. They're coming back now. You guys yeah. got a win over them. Uh, where do you think you are right now at the season's halfway point? Yeah, I mean, I think we're in a, in, in a good spot, you know, but that can easily change. You know, mm -hmm. our conference is very deep, you know, this year. Um, you know, it's a conference where you have to bring it every single night and be ready to go. Uh, but I like where we're at. You know, if you had asked me, you know, given our non-conference schedule, if we, would you want to be 6-2? and two, Would you take 6-2? and two? Absolutely right. I would. Um, you never want to lose, uh, but the reality is losing, uh, you know, can help you grow as a team. And I think that's, that's what's happened with us. It's made us a more urgent team. And, uh, you know, we've got a really tough Hartford team coming in here on Wednesday, you know, that'll, that'll be ready. And so let's talk about them because they already own a win over you. So it's extremely important for a couple of reasons, tiebreaker scenarios, et cetera, to be able to get that win against Hartford. They're a senior-dominated yeah. team. Their seniors play basically 80% of the time. They shoot the three-pointer. Jason Dunn's one of the best three-point shooters in the uh, conference. Uh, talk a little bit about them, the last game you guys played against them, and then what you, what you will face on Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, Hartford's got a great, really good team. Coach Gallagher's done an excellent job with them, and uh, they do. They, they're one of the most experienced teams, not only in our conference, but in, in the country. all of college yeah. basketball. And uh, I think it's like they're, they're playing more guys that start more minutes than – there's only one team in the country that's playing more than mm -hmm. them. And so that's a, that's a pretty interesting stat there. And they're all performing really, really well. Uh, each guy that plays there in the starting five – you know, is doing doing some great things, and I think it starts with Lynch. You know, mm -hmm. Lynch is a, a really good ball handler, uh, a guy that that not only can get his own shot and score himself, but he's a really unselfish guy. He he delivers the ball on time to his teammates. Dunn obviously is a is an exceptional scorer and defender. You know, a guy that can run through passing lanes and make plays. Uh, Carroll's always given us problems, right. and uh, Blagavich has, has done a great job inside of asserting himself as their center. And Weatherington can really shoot it. I mean, he's very similar to Ricky in the way that he shoots the rock. Every time it, it, it leaves his hand, you think it's going in. So we, we're going to have to play well, you know, in order to win. It was a hard-fought game up there. We had our chances. They certainly did as well. Uh, it could have knocked us out, and, and we kind of crept back in it. And, uh, and then it ended up in overtime, and, and they got the better of us in o OT. So it'll, it'll be a fun game on Wednesday night. You know, I've been watching Joe Sherburn now for four years, and you've been watching him for three. And um, his game is just so much – John and I were talking about it yeah. during the broadcast. His game has just evolved so much from year one to the point where he's like your – you know, he's kind of like your Swiss Army knife. Yeah. Doing – he's kind of like your horse in chess. He can go anywhere on the, on the floor, and he's been averaging almost nine rebounds a game yeah. over the last five games. Just talk a little bit about his evolution and what you asked from him and what 
he's been able to actually deliver. Yeah, I mean, certainly we ask a lot of Joe, and, you know, he, he wouldn't have it any other way. He's a guy that, that takes it on. And, uh, you know, from a leadership standpoint, he's been phenomenal this season, you know, especially with the younger team. Uh, especially with the injuries that mm -hmm. we've had. You know, we've had some key injuries this year. And, and, you know, he's done a nice job of not giving in, you know, to that right. and using it as an excuse. Uh, you know, I would say my first year here, you know, there were times certainly towards the end of the season where they really started locking out on him and wouldn't allow him to shoot. And, uh, you know, that really hurt his game. And, you know, he wasn't doing the other things at that particular time to help the team win. So there were times where I would take him out of the game and play other guys. Well, now he's doing so much. He's not just a shooter. He rebounds the ball, like you said. He guards the other team's best player. He mm -hmm. makes assists. He gets charges. He, I mean, does. he does. He does so many things, you know, for our team. He, he'll be sorely missed when his time is done here at UMBC. So Dan Aachen is now out for the year. Max Curran is out yeah. for the year. A position of strength for you at the beginning of the season has now become, you know, you're actually very um, depleted there. Yeah. How do you kind of cover that up, like, you know, cover it up with sand a little bit yeah. and, and and do the things that you need to do to yeah, defend. No question. I mean, if, if there was a, a position where we could afford to lose some guys mm -hmm. to, to season-ending injury, it was probably that spot because we had four, count five if you count Portman. Right. Oh, well, he's in, out. Right. In, in those positions, and so you know we've we've lost three. You know, at this point, but we've we've got Nolan. All right, we've got Sam, mm -hmm. and those two guys are experienced mm -hmm. in their own way. I mean, don't forget, like Sam was scheduled to start you know, the SMU game last year, right. you know, at the beginning of the season prior to his season-ending injury. Nolan's had some lights-out games for us, and he's healthy again and, and beginning to play well. Um, you know, Brandon Horvath obviously is injured right now and, and has a hand in, in issue, uh, so that's another blow to us. But, you know, we're trying to work through it. Uh, injuries are a part of the game, and, you know, we're not going to make excuses because of it, and we won't allow it. And, uh, you know, our guys are stepping up. We talked at the beginning of the season about, you know, and you heard Jose, you, you'll hear Jose talk about it a little bit later. Um, you know, in, our depth could be a key for us, you know, as we move forward. And, it, and it's proven so, you know, as we've gone. It could be a strength or it could be a weakness mm -hmm. if we allow it to be. And it has not been a weakness. It's been one of our strengths. Right, but one way or another, it's going to be a key. Yeah, no right. question. All right, so the fun continues Wednesday night against Hartford. That's right. Sounds good. All right, we'll take a quick timeout when we return. Just like Coach said, we'll meet the freshman, Jose Placer, who's had a big impact for UMBC on the last uh, three or four games. Right, and we'll do that when we return the uh, UMBC Ryan Odom Coaches Show back here from the UMBC Event Center. And welcome back to the UMBC Ryan Odom Coaches Report. Gary Stott along with head coach Ryan Odom, joined by freshman guard Jose Placer from Orlando, Florida. Welcome in. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. And uh, we always get a chance to talk to a player, you know, during this segment. And um, you've gotten a lot of playing time recently. So just talk a little bit about what's going on with you and what's going on with your game. Um, it's been up and down all year. And uh, I think the main thing for me was just 
continuing to stay in the gym and work and work. And uh, coach always talks about our depth being, you know, something that could really help us. And, uh, you know, I just, that stuck with me. And I was like, I need to get in the gym. I need to get in the gym. And then my time came and I was able to produce because of that. He seems to have a real calm demeanor about him, Coach, especially for a freshman. Yeah, no question. And uh, he's really growing into his game. He's the youngest guy on our team. You're 18 years old, right? Yep. And, you know, it's always an adjustment when you first come into college, regardless of your age, if you're 18 or 20. And, uh, you know, Jose, you know, established himself right away, you know, as a guy that understands the game. He, he's got a, an unbelievable ability to outwork, you know, others. Uh, he cares about the game. He's passionate about it. Very unselfish player, and he's got that sweet J, too, that we like for him to shoot. Yeah. All those things that you just mentioned are apparent when you watch him on the court. There's no doubt about it. You mentioned that he's only 18 years old. We, we had a chance to warm up. His birthday is May 8th, right? So, you, so you're going to be 19. He was born in the year 2000. Wow. It's the first, I think, the first... <laughs> I'm an person. old guy. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But talk about that sweet J, that game against Albany where you came in off the bench and had, I think it was 34 minutes, uh, if I'm not mistaken, 22 points. I think four or three or four three-pointers in that game. That was kind of like a breakout game for you. K- uh, KJ Jackson had some foul trouble. Like, how did you feel coming into that game? Uh, I felt good. You know, we had, I had a good week of practice, and uh, I'd been playing well. And uh, just, like I said, I was in the gym, so I felt good. And then, uh, you know, I... I came into the game, I was like, I need to be a little bit more aggressive because when I play tentative, I tend to play like, like worse. Mm-hmm. So I'm better when I'm more aggressive and on my front foot and you know, looking for others and looking for my shot. And that's kind of what I was going into the game thinking. What, what do you want from him when you bring him into the game? Yeah, absolutely. I want him to be aggressive and, and most importantly, read the plays that are there for him. And you know, he's becoming much more efficient at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, we always want to see him shooting the open shots, but creating for others. He's got a really nice pull-up game, too, and he showed that in the Albany game, and he showed it in other games as well, where he drives it you know, downhill, and then he's able to stop kind of on a dime and shoot the basketball. He's probably got the best floater on our team mm. you know, as well, so he gets in the lane and is able to stop and keep people off balance with his float game as well. And uh, he's become a much more reliable defender. You know, I think that's one of the biggest areas where he's continued to improve over the course of the season is his ability to, to play defense on that end. And that's one of the most important things for you, especially the way that your team is playing defense right now in general. How, how did you find him? Yeah, we, we actually found him. We saw him playing uh, in the summer uh, down in Orlando. You know, they have the, the uh, AAU tournaments that go on down there. And we got a chance to watch him at, at Disney down there playing for the Chandler Parsons team. Mm-hmm. And I uh, played well, you know, in the games that I watched him play. Uh, his high school coach is a guy named Reggie Cohn. Uh, so Reggie and I have known each other a long time. Reggie played for Seth Greenberg at South Florida right. and was their point guard at South Florida. It's amazing the way all these connections, yeah. yeah. And I worked at South Florida one year. I never coached Reggie, so I wasn't around when Reggie was a player. He came after I had left. Um, but I'd always kind of followed their progress, you know, when I left and went to America at that point. And, uh, and then also his AAU coaches. You know, Nate's very close with his AAU mm-hmm. coaches, so we kind of had, you know, both sides there, you know, covered from a coaching standpoint. And then, you know, once we got a chance to meet his family, uh, he's got the best family in the world, uh, you know, brother and sister that care deeply about him, and obviously his parents, grandparents, you know, uh, all are, are so 
so involved in its life. Right. And uh, they were able to come up and visit, and it was just easy to see that it was a match for both. Mm -hmm. So Jose and I actually had a chance to talk a little bit before the show. You picked up a basketball, I guess, what, when you were maybe four or five years yeah. old. Um, was it was it love at first sight for you with basketball? It was. I mean, my family's always been in, like, the basketball world. Like, my grandfather has, like, been working with basketball in Puerto Rico for a long time. And, uh, you know, I kind of just grew up with that and fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. And you tried other sports. You had tried yeah, all the sports, all like, the in middle sports. school. But once high school rolled around... Basketball was kind of it, and 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 the Orlando Magic are your favorite team, and obviously you, you you know grew up down there. You were telling me that you were you were remembering that championship run, or at least the run to the championship game, and you were what eight or nine years old eight or at that nine, time. Yep. That's crazy. It was a it was a really fun time, you know, just being able to you know be a part of that. It was something special. Was Pity your favorite player? Uh, honestly, like? my favorite uh, Magic player has been Rashard Lewis. Yeah, yeah, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. been okay. my favorite basketball player. That's interesting. So do you remember, like, do you ever think back in a private moment when, when you were a kid, like around that age, eight or nine years old, probably wearing an Orlando Magic, you know, uniform shirt, you know, to the game or whatever. Now here you are playing in this beautiful arena, D1 basketball, TV, everything. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's a, this has always been a dream for, of mine. And, uh, you know, I, I can go back and remember, like, so many times where I was in the gym just cheering for the Magic with my dad beside me and, uh, you know, after the game telling him, man, I really want to do this one day. And, you know, like, this is the this is the first step. You know, i got to get there, and I'm here. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's been great. You know, Coach, I, I wonder from, from your perspective, yep. you know, um, freshman Jose comes in, R.J. Rock, a freshman. You know, when you kind of think ahead to what you expect from your team and what you think your team is going to be like at the beginning of the season, is this different from what you expected? Uh, not so much. I mean, I knew there would be bumps along the way. Anytime you lose, you know, guys of, you know, Jairus's caliber and K.J. Mara's caliber and Jordan as well, you know, there's going to be some bumps along the way. And, and there's a lot of new faces, you know, that have to, you know, uh, come together, mm -hmm. all right, and it's about putting the pieces together. And the cool thing for us as coaches and as players, they all bring something different to the table. You know, like RJ might not be the shooter that Jose is, all right, but RJ finds a way to use his size and you know pass the ball and defend, you know, a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. And and so KJ has the athleticism, you know, to to get inside the defense and and make plays for others. And I think, you know, now what you're seeing is they're becoming more comfortable with one another and their strengths are, are showing more. And uh, that's what I love to see with this team. How, how do you feel, like, can you compare when you got here and before the game started in practice, you know, I guess, what, maybe August, September, October, and then now how you feel after you've gotten into games and you've kind of asserted yourself in certain situations? I mean, I think uh, when I first got here, I, I didn't know what to expect, so it was like a... It's been a growing period for me, and then just, uh, you know, getting to, like, I guess our team's more connected mm. now, and, uh, you know, that connect, like, connectiveness that we have is just, like, grown and, you know, like, the, working in the gym and stuff, it's just giving me more confidence. Mm -hmm. how, how do you guys connect outside of the gym? Like, do you go places together? Like, what do you guys do? Yeah, we'll go out to eat, and then we just, we, like, we love to joke around with each other and, like, well, like, something will happen in the game, and we'll be watching film, and then we'll joke around, make fun of each other, you know, <laughs> just have a good time. Right. They made fun of me, too, when I said Yeah, fell. I was going to ask, did it ever come around, <laughs> at, you yeah. know, like, behind his Definitely back, or, did. Maybe, or maybe in front of his Definitely back, did. I don't uh, know. I yeah. think Joe might have made a video and added some music to it or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That doesn't oh, surprise yeah. me at all. He did. 
He yeah. did. And then they like to imitate Coach Dixon. Right. So they get, sure. they get Nate on that. Right. Josh is the, uh, the culprit there. What, what appealed to you about Coach Odom and about this program? Uh, just, like, constant communication with me. Like, once they started recruiting me, I was getting phone calls. Um, my mom was actually here last co um, two days ago, and uh, she told me, like, that he, uh, Coach Odom would be calling her. And, you know, just, like, we came here for my visit, and uh, it, was, it was just a great time. You know, getting to all the coaches and stuff, and it just felt right. Mm -hmm. Were you recruited and si like? Were you basically signed before UMBC went on their run last year? Yeah, I had uh, I signed before they had done the right. Yeah. So what did you think? So w w you, were you at the game at all, or I was not. I was watching on TV. Okay. What did you think of that? I was uh, I was watching the first half, and I was like, man, we're playing really well. I was I was waiting for like. You know, I was like, man, this game's going to get close, and it just never did. And I was, I mean, my phone was blowing up. Like, all my friends were texting me, like, <laughs> I can imagine. Look, are you watching the game? Are you watching the game? I was like, yeah, I am. And it just, it was, it felt really good, you know, mm -hmm. to be a part of that. Even though, like, I wasn't here yet, it felt like I was a part of it, you know. Right. Yeah. Okay, I think that's about it. We just got the time uh, signals up. My, my man, a pleasure to watch you play. Appreciate it. And good we job, look forward man. to Thank the you. second half of the conference season. Sounds good. All right, we'll take a time out here from the UNBC Event Center. When we return, John Feinstein, my broadcast partner, will join us to talk about all that's going on in the world of college basketball and the Super Bowl. We'll get his take on the Patriots when we return right after this. Respect is hard work. Respect is dedication. Respect is earned on the court or on the field. Respect doesn't judge based on sexual orientation or gender identity. Respect is being the first conference to partner with the You Can Play Project. And the first conference in the LGBT Sports Safe Founders Club. Respect coaches, players, and the game. Respect similarities. Respect differences. Spread respect. Spread respect. Spread respect. And welcome back to the UMBC Ryan Odom Coaches Report. Gary Stein, along with UMBC head coach Ryan Odom, joined by John Feinstein, my broadcast partner on the UMBC basketball games. John, I'm sure you watched every single play of that Super Bowl yesterday. What, what did you think? I came a lot closer than you might think, Gary. <laughs> uh, uh, other than uh, missing us the start of the second half, because I was uh, reading with my daughter, Jane, I did see uh, most of the game. And I didn't find it boring. I, I'm not one of those people who finds defense boring. As long as the game is close, I can stay engaged, whether it's, you know, 43-40 like the Chiefs and Patriots were during the regular season or 13-3 like this game was. And I thought <clears throat> it was a tribute to, to Belichick, Brady, and the entire Patriots organization. Remember, people were writing this team off at the end of the regular season. Absolutely. Uh, they were saying they'd be lucky to beat the Chargers at home in the first round of the playoffs. And, the only reason they were even in the playoffs was because they were in a weak division. Well, apparently not so much. And the thing about tr the truly great at whatever they do is they always want more. You know, Belichick and Brady's legacy wasn't going to be changed last night, win or lose. I mean, five Super Bowls, been to nine, uh, regardless of the outcome. But they wanted six. And I promise you, starting next, next summer, they're going to want seven. And, of course, there comes a time when all dynasties fall, but these guys aren't going gently into that, that great good night, are they? Do you think this is the greatest dynasty ever in the history of sports? You know, I've been asked that question uh, multiple times today. It certainly has to be in the conversation. I think of the Red Auerbach, Bill Russell Celtics, sure, yeah. who won 11 titles in 13 years. 
I think of the John Wooden UCLA mm-hmm. dynasty, and people say, well, you know, back then you you, you didn't leave your region, and uh, they only won only won four games in nine of their ten titles, and five in the other. But a single elimination. Ask Virginia about single elimination. Mm-hmm. I know I bring that up every week, but why not? <laughs> um, and, and to win 10 titles in 12 years is extraordinary. Now the NFL playoffs are single elimination, too. Um, so I would, put, I, I would put the Patriots, UCLA basketball, the, the, the Auerbach Russell Celtics, um, and, and you've got to throw in the Yankees over the last 90 years. <laughs> Those are the four greatest dynasties to me. Uh, and you pick your order, and I'll make an argument for or against. I was on a debate team when I was in high school. <laughs> Do you? Uh, I was watching uh, last night Steve Young and Boomer, and then Randy Moss. And Steve Young was talking about, you know, how you know Belichick's run and Brady's run, like he's made it an academic run. And I guess what he meant by that was, and the way he elaborated on it was, he said, you know, most teams they can they can adapt every game. And so, you know, they, they can make changes to what their normal schemes are. So, like, whereas the normal team might memorize, you know, 10 new schemes, these guys are memorizing 50 new schemes. Do you agree with that? Do you think that's, that's part of I'm it? Like, sure he's made it a smarter game? I don't know about 50 new schemes a game, Ryan, because I've been around a lot of football players, and I don't know many who could, interview, who could memorize 50 new schemes a week. Yeah. But I think his point is well taken that the best coaches always adapt. Now, the, the, the exception to that rule, to me, and, and he was obviously one of the best coaches ever, was Dean Smith. I mean, Dean Smith ran the same offense and the same defense no matter who he was playing and no matter who was on his team, uh, and only won 879 games. <laughs> but for the most part, I think the best coaches in any sport change up what they're doing depending on their own personnel and what their strengths and weaknesses are and on the opponent's personnel and what their strengths and weaknesses are. And, of course, you can make more changes on the fly in football because you only play once a week. I mean, look at what John Harbaugh and the Ravens did this year when Joe Flacco went down and Lamar Jackson became the quarterback, a completely different style of quarterback. They changed their whole offense and won, what, six out of seven to make the playoffs. So – the best coaches do that, and Belichick is, in football, certainly the best coach, all due respect to Vince Lombardi, who coached in an entirely different era. Mm. Hey, John, I know I'm going to stun you when I tell you this, but one of the things that I really like about you, okay, right, that, that's kind of where the there stunning part comes in. I am yeah, stunned. Yeah, exactly. Um, and even though you make, or a lot of your living is made around college basketball, one of the things that I like about you is you're a true fan of the game, regardless of how you may or may not make your living. And the reason why I bring it up is because you had a really interesting, fascinating, from a fan's perspective, if nothing else, kind of travel into the Northeast this week to watch some college basketball. So tell us a little bit about it. Well, first of all, I'm grateful that it didn't snow. Yeah. (laughs) It was brutally cold. When I pulled in to the parking lot at the University of St. Joseph, on Thursday afternoon in West Hartford, Connecticut, it was three degrees. <laughs> uh, and I, I know it got colder when the sun went down. But, yeah, I mean, I'm, I've always said, Gary, that I feel extraordinarily lucky and have felt this way throughout my entire professional career that I get paid to do things mm. that most people would pay to do. And, and, and I mean that. And uh, as a basketball junkie, um, I spent Thursday with Jim Calhoun, who is now coaching 
at the University of St. Joseph, a Division three school that until this year didn't have men. It was an all-women right. school from 1932 until 2018. They brought in about 100 men this year and started a men's basketball program, and Jim had known the athletic director for years, and the guy said, why don't you come help me put the program together? Since Jim had retired at UConn in 2012, Jim said, why don't I coach the team? (laughs) (laughs) He's 76. He's had four bouts with cancer. He's Mm. won three national championships. He has absolutely nothing to prove. And he's as intense during a game as he was when he was coaching UConn in the Final Four. Wow. Um, uh, on the refs the whole game. He's, he, by the way, Ryan, he's had four technical fouls so far this season. <laughs> and been thrown out of, got thrown out of the game. And wow. the only reason he didn't get thrown out on Thursday was because the three officials were so scared of him they didn't dare do it. Because he was all over them. They lost. 98-97 in double overtime. Wow. And it looked like they had the game won in overtime. A kid hit a shot, and I thought the clock had gone to zero. But, again, Division three, there's no monitor to go to. Right. Yeah. So the officials just said, ah, we'll put it at point six. And the other team, Johnson and Wales, threw a Tate-George length-of-the-court pass that their best player caught and hit a shot at the buzzer to send it into double overtime. Wow. And, and, of course, Jim was ballistic. How do you not knock that pass down, what we were doing? And I said to him, well, I guess now you know how Cliff Ellis felt. <laughs> um, and then Friday I, I, I drove to Boston and went and spent the afternoon and evening with Harvard uh, for their game against Yale. I've known Tommy Amaker since he was in high school. Um, and, and Harvard, he's done an amazing job. Um, building that program. Uh, they, they had never won the Ivy League title before he got there. They've now won it six times, uh, been to the NCAAs uh, four of those six times, um, won first-round first games against New Mexico and Cincinnati uh, a couple of years back. They're, they've been banged up this year. Their two best players have been hurt, but one of them's back. One of them they hope is coming back. Um, but my, my, my favorite story about Harvard basketball is they always open the season with MIT, which is a very good mm-hmm. Division three program, as you know, Ryan. Yeah. And um, MIT just comes, you know, drives right down for a mile or two uh, from their campus. And usually about 100 MIT students come to the game, and during the game they chant safety school at the Harvard place. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> and then Saturday I went and saw Northeastern play Hofstra. I'd never been to Matthews Arena which is the oldest arena in the country in which they still play college basketball. And by the way, little trivia note, in 1912, it hosted the Democratic National Convention. So wow. you talk about, they wow. call it historic Matthews Arena, and I think that's legit. Hmm. So it was a great trip, and I saw Hofstra's 16-game winning streak come to an end on Saturday, and I, uh, I sent a text, text to Joe Mahalik. Um, afterwards and said, does this mean I can't come and see you play anymore? And he texted back and said, I'll get back to you on that. (laughs) (laughs) That was going to be my next question. (laughs) John, that sounds like a great weekend. Yeah, no, it was a great weekend. And I got home very late Saturday night, early Sunday morning and, uh, and hung out with my family all day Sunday. And now I'm uh, ready to go for the, the, the game at UMBC on Wednesday. And John Ryan and I were talking about that and kind of where he sees his team at the midway point. What do you see right now after eight games in the America East Conference with, with UMBC? Well, I think, um, Gary, you and I would agree. Ryan might not because coaches have a different 
viewpoint that at one and two after that lost mm. road trip, uh, first road trip of the conference season, if if anybody had said, well, you know, they'll be six and two halfway through, we'd have gone, yeah, right. Um, and clearly, uh, stealing that that win against Albany uh, gave the team a much needed boost of confidence. And then, obviously, the Vermont game was huge, going on the road and beating Vermont, which is always, you know, the road to to the NCAA tournament, as we know, in the America East usually leads through Patrick Jim. So to go up there after having beaten him in the championship game and and come from, what were you down early, Ryan? Was was it 8 or 10? It was 10? 9 to 2, yeah. 12 to 2, somewhere in there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, and, it was and a rough back, start. And come back, tied by halftime, and then go on that run to start the second half was great. And then beat a very good Stony Brook team um, uh, on last Wednesday. And I would think uh, going into – uh, this game with Hartford, uh, the good news is the guys know they got to come to play because they've already lost to Hartford. Mm-hmm. Uh, my only concern would be that break. Once you're playing well in the season, I think it's good to have a few days off, but you hope you're not a little bit rusty coming out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Coach, yeah. you know, we really didn't talk about the Vermont game that much. I just I, I wanted to ask you, did, describe the atmosphere because not a lot of teams go in there and beat them, especially in the America East Conference Tournament. And then here you are coming back in and beating them again. Yeah, I mean, certainly a lot of pressure, you know, on that, that particular game. You know, first time going in there after that, you know, historic historic game, uh, you know, last season. Um, but, you know, they were down. They were without Anthony Lamb, right. who clearly right now has is, is established himself as the best player in our league. Uh, really good player, and, uh, you know, they didn't have a lot of time to kind of, you know, prepare, you know, without him, and, uh, you know, our guys, to our guys' credit, you know, they came in uh, and, and they competed, you know, they really did. They competed at a high level. Defensively, we were, we were excellent, and it was probably our best offensive performance, you know, of the season. Hey, John, I, I just thought of something else while, while uh, Ryan was talking. Did you happen to see that NC State score? Over the weekend, <laughs> how could you not? <laughs> My God, it, do you think it, I, it, is it even possible to score twenty-four points in this era right now? You know, the 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 irony when I saw that score is the lowest point total by a Division One team since the shot clock era began was a twenty-point output for Rick Majerus coach St. Louis team, and I think it was two thousand eight at GW, and I was at that yeah. game. Wow! Um, and wow! And I think. I think St. Louis had six or eight at halftime, and and, um, and it, there wasn't any slowdown involved. Obviously, with a shot clock, you really can't slow the game down. Um, and it's just they got into a mode where they, they couldn't make a shot. I mean, they couldn't make a layup. Uh, you know, the old cliche about they couldn't throw it in the ocean from a rowboat. Uh, and I didn't see the game. Uh, as I said, I was at Northeastern Saturday. But I guess uh, NC State got into that mode and just couldn't make a thing, but it's still stunning. 24 points in 40 minutes, and St. Louis was not a very good team back in 08. Right, but NC State's pretty NC good. NC State's a good team. Yeah. They were ranked. Yeah. They were ranked, and they scored 24 points. I mean, it's one of those deals where when you first look and see the score, you go, wow, Virginia Tech's really blowing them out at halftime. Yeah, and then Virginia the Tech only scored. 40, they only had like 47, 47 or something yeah. like that. So it was a really – Weird game, you know, all around. Weird and, game. Yeah. And, and, you know, the funny thing, the thing about sports is, you know, it's a cliche, but stuff happens all the time that we just, we're not thinking can happen. And that's part of what makes it so much fun. That's right. There's no hiding once you get inside those lines, you know. It's just anything, but, can, anything can happen. 
Yeah, you know, yeah. years ago, Gary Williams was talking about growing up in in Camden, New Jersey, um, and and how he played uh, ball in basically in, in the inner city and in, in a neighborhood where he was playing mostly with black kids. And he said, you know, the, the thing is, when you get on the court, nobody cares whether you're black, white, green, or blue. They just want to know if you can play. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's what sports is about. Can you play? And it's it's why it it can be such a great bonding agent. Um, for all of us, and uh, brings brings cities together, brings colleges together, brings high schools together. Um, sometimes can even bring Democrats and Republicans together. Sometimes, uh, <laughs> even in today's world, hard to believe. But that's the cool thing about sports. Now, I'm sure NC State isn't looking at it saying, "Yeah, that's the cool thing about sports. You never know what can happen." But who knows what they'll do in their next game? I wouldn't want to be their next opponent. Mm. Yeah, they'll John, play better. Yep, John. Well said, and that's the final word, my friend. Thank you so much. I'll see you guys on Wednesday. We will be together on Wednesday. John Feinstein, thank you. Coach, that's going to do it for another edition. Yeah. Well done. Good job. Thank Thanks you. Again. We appreciate that. Thank you for watching, and we'll see you next time on the UMBC Ryan Odom Coaches Report.